Thank you for joining us for the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. I'm Jay Jones, and I am here with George Mays for a text-driven Tuesday. So you're going to want to grab your Bible and go to Hebrews, the very end, chapter 13, beginning in verse 20. Morning, George. Good morning. How's it going? You almost forgot to turn that off, didn't you? Almost. going to be sitting here jamming the entire time. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know this high... uh, Where'd you find that music, by the way? um, I pulled some music from, um, I think, YouTube Music. Or I could download like free free music that you can use. Mm-hmm. There's a couple different places you can find free music, yeah. and then I just cut out a section of it mm. and made it for our little intro. Yeah, we need our uh, our worship team to create a write song? a write a theme song for us. Yeah, yeah. See if Philip would get on that. Yeah. Yep, yep. Well, you're here sporting the Cubs hat proudly Mm -hmm. Uh for the offseason. Yep. Are you hopeful for next year? I mean, that's that's like the defining attribute of a Cubs fan. They're they're always hopeful for the next year. Yeah. There's always next year. I heard uh, some rumors this past weekend that uh, the Dodgers are trying to sign Otani. You hear that? I've seen rumors for... Several different teams, including the Cubs. Yeah. Would that be a dream come true for you? That'd be pretty cool. He needs to go to a team that at least has some kind of chance because he's a fantastic player. Same with Mike Trout. Yeah. What are they doing on the Angels? Yeah. It'd be crazy. (laughs) What? What? Otani got MVP. Second year. Second year in a row. And he's on one of the worst teams. I think he's the best baseball player of all time. Yeah. Well, he, he I mean, to, well, I mean, he needs to get he to, needs to go on a team that, to claim that he'll have to not get hurt and play for a number of years. Mm-hmm. But yeah, pitching and hitting. Uh, yeah, I mean, unreal. he needs to go to he needs to go to some team that. Yeah, but the Angels they got a uh, Dusty Baker now. Mm. Did you see that? Mm-mm. Yeah, they hired him. Okay. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. No, they didn't get Dusty Baker. What is his <laughs> name? I can't remember. I'm going to have to look this up. He was uh, the Rangers manager a few years ago. Okay. Did you see that uh, the the A's are moving to Las Vegas? Are they? Yeah. So Oakland is... It's probably a good not, move. It, Oakland's just not going to have, have a, anything. They don't have a good fan base there, man. Nobody goes to their games. That's because they're, they're it, terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but... It's because they're a terrible team. I mean, it's... Even when they're good, they don't have enough support. Like, yeah. you need to have a good fan base so you can have money so you can buy players. Right. So, probably, in the end, a good move. Yeah. Kind of crazy, but... They're playing that yeah. money... That, they're I'll tell you that mo- They're playing that money ball, though. They don't need... They don't need a bunch of money. Imagine <laughs> if they built a sphere for them, like the Las Vegas sphere, but it was a uh, ballpark. Yeah. That'd be cool. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. Did you have a good Thanksgiving? It was good. Yeah? Yeah. Did you go to Tulsa? I did. Yep. Hung out with uh, parents, my sister. What fun activities do you do in Tulsa? <sighs> I know Philip goes to Coney Islander. Not much. <laughs> Not much. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, I mean, Coney Islander is amazing. Yeah. Didn't get to go this uh, this time. Yeah. It's a Tulsa, like a mm-hmm. thing, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. They've got a knockoff version in Clinton. Oh, really? Called Coney Island. Oh, okay. They're pretty close. 
Yeah. Yeah. I've had them both. Okay. Pretty close. Yeah. Coney Islanders are very good, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, we didn't. Uh, didn't really do much. Kind of hung out, visited family, tried to relax a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good stuff. My kids man. tried to kill me. <laughs> uh, my my parents have a much bigger backyard than than we do. So we're able to play catch and toss a toss a ball around and it's rough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Abigail want, wanted to race and so I'm racing and I'm like <laughs> I'd pay money to see that, George. That's why, that's why your back's hurting. Yeah. You're out there trying to run sprints. Oh yeah. Yeah. You gotta work back into that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't warm up. Yeah. Just take off. Evangeline's never seen me run. Okay. The other day, she was like, Dad. Can you run? Yeah. Can, can you run. still run? I can still run. Okay. It hurt. I'll pay the price. Uh-huh, like yeah. My, my knee, it'll hurt pretty bad. Yeah. Afterward, but she <clears> never <throat> seen me run before. So I had to jog across the living room for her. <laughs> Look at this. Yeah. You jogged across your living room? I've been in your living room. That's not, yeah. that's not a very... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we had fun. We had a good we had a good break for sure. So Drake got to come home. That was fun. Yeah. I got to hang out with him for a little bit. So yeah. It was good. It was all good. Well now we're in the Christmas season, George. It's officially Christmas yeah. time. Yeah. It's time to put the tree up. You already got it up? Uh, no, no, uh, Phineas has been asking, so I don't know what their plans are this week. I'm sure that I'm sure they'll start putting stuff up this week. Mm. I, that's not my thing. So you like to mix that's pagan not, that's symbols? Not, that's, that's, like not, to bring that's pagan, not my, I, pagan symbols in I, your house? Is that what I, I may get a lot of hate for this, but <laughs> I've told, I've told Julia, if it was up to me, we probably wouldn't have a tree. You wouldn't have a tree? <laughs> no. George, you're a Scrooge. <sighs> It's just, I just don't care to... You don't like the hassle? Yeah, get it out and put it up, and I don't like decorating it. I don't like putting it back. Hmm. Well, you got all those kids, you got all those workers, so mm. here's what you do. Just get it out, get you some coffee, sit on the couch, and give directions. Yeah, uh, I I pretty much just let them do it while I'm up here. Yeah. So... We don't have ours up yet. It'll go up soon. Yeah, if any of us was want to put up uh, Christmas lights before we left for Thanksgiving. And... Yeah. I haven't done Christmas lights since we lived in that house, but I think Evangeline wants Christmas lights. I mean, you're out, she's in, got a you're way out with, in the middle of nowhere. She's got a way with words. She's like, yeah. when are we putting up our lights? I was like, I don't think we are. She's like, why not? They make me happy. <laughs> I'm like, all right, we're buying Christmas lights. <laughs> that was too easy. Too easy for you. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah, we've got a uh, Phineas likes putting up lights. And so I I let him do it. He'll just yeah. do it on his own. Yeah. We've got a nativity scene that my father-in-law made for us years and years and years ago. Put that out. Cool. Yep. All right. Well, we are in Hebrews for Text Driven Tuesday, so maybe we jump in now. Um, if you have your Bible, I've, I was I, as I was as I was driving here this morning, 
which only takes me like three minutes. Uh-huh. I was thinking the the irony. I told everyone when I preached it, we don't skip passages. Right. <laughs> and I was just thinking of the irony that we're skipping skipping a passage. Oh uh, well, we you didn't. We I are. did not. Yeah, I did not. Yeah, yeah. We couldn't make it happen last week. Mm-hmm. So someone took the computer home with him. Yeah, I had the computer, and, then, and I was gone. And left, and I was gone in a different state. So. Yeah, I'll have to just remember to leave it. I guess I could have gave you the code, car code, then you could have cut it in the garage and gone in and gotten it. Maybe next time. So like a trap, you got your dog like sitting there. She was waiting. there, okay. yeah. You were clear. <laughs> you were in the clear. Yep. Well, uh, last week um, you did the section on obeying your leaders. So you can read that and then you can just believe it. And now we can come to <laughs> now we, and now we come to verse twenty, right? Just do it. Just just do what it says. Yeah. So okay, we'll catch us up. Uh, maybe briefly touch on last week and how you move into this week. It's kind of a it is it is kind of a clean break, but this mm. this last section flows out of that. So uh, maybe set up this last bit before we jump into it for us. Well, I mean, we've been. Really, we've been coming off. We I, I, we keep referencing chapter twelve, verse twenty eight. We're supposed to offer to God acceptable worship, uh-huh. or literally service to God with reverence and awe. And chapter thirteen shows us how to do it. Uh, verses one through nineteen really just just give practical ways in which we offer acceptable service to God. We we love. The brethren, we love uh, to show hospitality, and we love those who are suffering for their faith. We love marriage, and we don't love money, and we uh, remember our leaders from the past and imitate their faith. We um, commit ourselves to suffering the same kind of reproach that Jesus suffered by going outside the the gates, going outside the camp. Um, and then verses 17 through 19, we... We obey and submit to our present leaders. And now there's a break. Verses 20 and 21 is the benediction, um, which a benediction is um, it's a prayer blessing. Right. Um, it, it's Latin. It, it, you can render it literally like uh, a good word. Bene is good. Uh, diction is, is speech. It's like a good, good speech. Mm. Um, it's found throughout uh, Paul's letters. You can find it in Romans and First and Second Thessalonians. Ephesians has one, I think. Um, it's it's a it's a prayer, but it's more than just a prayer. It's it's more than just a hopefully God will do this. It's because the biblical writer is um, given this authority, he can speak from and for God to the people with a certainty that God will do this. So we can think of the uh, Aaronic benediction um, in Numbers. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's more than just um, a wish. It's this is what God is going to do for his people. Okay. And so um, this is a, a benediction that is... It is here at the end of the book, 
and it's expressing this this prayer of certainty that everything that he has told them to do in the book, God is going to ensure that they are able to do it. Which is good because right. given the you know given the uh, the warning passages, which are very strong, uh, don't fall away. If you fall away, there's no repentance. There no longer remains a sacrifice. Our God is a consuming fire. Uh, this benediction that is expressing the certainty of this hope that God is going to do this. Um, it's it's powerful. Mm-hmm. So you have uh, your text, you broke it down into two certainties that we received from this prayer. Um, so let's jump into it, but first let's have you read it. We'll throw it up on the screen for those watching. All right. Um, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21 says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Good stuff. All right, two certainties from this prayer. The first one is that God has accomplished redemption for you through Christ. Um, first, though, i got a question for you. You've sure. been doing your new, mo- new, new notes method for a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, full pages and a little three-ring binder. How do you feel about that? You like it? I like it. Yep. Yeah, it's been good. Um, uh, it's helping me to organize my thoughts better because I'm able to just go in and just change stuff really yeah. quickly. And I mean, if I was writing it by hand, I'd have to scratch it. Yeah, I'd have to white it out or I'd have to write in the margins. And uh, sometimes my notes were a bit of a mess. Um, I had to do it all at once. Um I couldn't jump around. This is helping me a little yeah. bit to, to organize it and when thoughts come to me just randomly, just driving or whatever, I get home and yeah, type it up. My computer is uh, not doing great right now. so That's a pretty new computer, too. Uh, it's about four years old. Yeah. Hmm. Might yeah. have to make that switch over. So uh, uh-huh. trying to figure out what I'm going to do. Thankfully I, thankfully, I only have one sermon left uh for a little bit so i can i got time to figure out what might I'm have to next. switch over to apple man that is what i've been told yeah yeah i've already i've already got someone telling me go ahead and do that so yeah but yeah do you I, have uh, room like where where do you put your bible there's a lot of space up on the pulpit where do you put it uh this is this is on the right and the bible's right here right on the there? left because okay. i don't i don't do double sided Right. So I've got blank, uh, yeah, blank I see. pages so I can put my Bible there and just lift it up. And There you go. Yeah, it's... Now, I would love to have a bigger pulpit. Yeah. That'd be nice. But yeah, it's uh, it's working. More space it's for working. activities. Uh, and I can I blow it up a little bit so I can see it better, and I know how many, how many pages. Yeah. Now I'm still... I still, uh, like yesterday, Sunday morning... When I sat down to go over my sermon again, I was like, "Oh, I've got more stuff I need to add." So I wrote it still in. have stuff <laughs> all yeah. in the all in the margins that I have to make sure I can read. But yeah, it's it's working. Okay, I, I don't know if anyone has noticed, uh, like if there's any improvement or anything, but um, I I feel better about 
my my prep. Yeah. Look good, feel good, play good. And that's I, what they say in baseball, George. <laughs> and the same applies and, in the pulpit, my friend. And there's not I'm not as stressed. Like I'd get stressed if it was like Thursday, Thursday afternoon or evening and I wasn't done and I was having to do it on on Friday or on those rare occasions where it was real bad and I had to do it on Saturday, I'd feel really stressed because I'm doing it by hand, and it's a lot quicker uh-huh. to do it uh, by typing it up. Yeah. So, yeah, good stuff. See, the old, old dogs can learn new tricks, George. I don't feel quite as free. I feel a little bit more tied to my hmm. notes than when I write it by hand. Yeah. Um. So there's kind of a trade-off, yeah. but I feel like I am able to say more of what I I like have like bouncing around in my head. Uh-huh. I'm able to organize it better than I I feel like I was able to do. Yeah, writing it by hand, mm-hmm. but I do feel a little bit more tied to my notes. I don't know if that's noticeable or not, but I I feel a little bit more mm. so. No, I haven't noticed a I haven't noticed a difference really. So well, that's good. All right. Well, let's jump in. Two certainties from this prayer. Uh, the first, God has accomplished redemption for you through Christ. Um, so this is we're really not <coughs> introducing anything new that we haven't already covered. No. Um, all throughout the book, multiple times through this. So this is as you brought up a post a a, a post objective truth mm-hmm. a reality. Yeah. That already is. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is almost a reminder through this that this blessing is ours. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so there, you had kind of three questions that we should ask, and I don't know that I got all three of them in here, but I know I got the first one. Who has accomplished redemption? And then I have, um, there's the how question, how mm-hmm. can we be sure? What was the third one? Well, the second one was how did he do it? How did he accomplish? Okay. That's it. How did he accomplish Who accomplished it? How did he do it? How can we be sure? Yeah. So let's work through those three. So the obvious one, if you're here this Christian podcast, I mean, you you know already who has accomplished this redemption. Who is it? It's right there. Yeah. It's the God of peace. Right. Right. Now, uh, you took took back and you asked everyone to turn back to Isaiah 63, 11, which I think has obvious relevance for this. So show us how. Um, the New Testament writers are specifically choosing phrases on purpose to tie us all like continually back to the Old Testament. Right. And here's one case. Yeah, where, so, where we see so the God of peace is doing this, but how is he doing this? He does it by bringing again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. And that phrase, brought again, is not, it's, it's not the typical phrase for he raised him from the dead. It's, uh, as I was, as I was, I, I tried to find every instance of this word to see how it was used. And only one place in the New Testament is it in regard, in relationship to the resurrection at all. And it's in Romans chapter 10. And it, it's, it's when Paul is, is um, who, who will, who will go and bring Jesus up from the from the dead or what um, I can't remember exactly how how it's phrased but 
even there it's it's a little weird it's and it's it's uh he's drawing comparison between um a passage in deuteronomy um but where it's uh, where it's most normally used in the book of acts and it means to set sail <laughs> so anytime anytime uh, luke is writing about them setting sail he's using the word that that here is it's translated as brought again mm. from the dead so it, it's um so i i brought all of that out i bring all that out to to emphasize the fact that this is not the normal word this is not the that like when you read the word, you should think there's something else going on because he's using a really weird word to talk about the resurrection. It's because the New Testament writers, they use particular phrases and particular words to draw the, the, the mind back to the Old Testament. And we don't see it quite as well because we're not reading it in the original languages. We're not, we're not as familiar with um, the original languages as these these readers would have been um, all throughout the the book of Hebrews. The author is is um, he quotes from the Septuagint, the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and this 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 word brought again. It's used in a particular place uh, in the Old Testament, and it it's it sheds light on what he's talking about here. Uh-huh. Isaiah sixty three, right? Um, Isaiah sixty three verses eleven through fourteen, which has a lot of the same themes as this benediction. Uh, then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of? That's the that's the word. Uh-huh. Um, he he brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock. There's another there's another uh, idea here. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep, right? Uh, where is he put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name? There's a, a phrase that we see the everlasting covenant. Uh-huh. We've got everlasting name. Who led them through the depths like a horse in the desert that did not stumble, like livestock that go down to the valley. The Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name, which is, a, that's the end of the benediction is, is glory to God. Uh-huh. So um, he's, he's pulling from, I think, this passage, and he's showing once again that Jesus is the greater Moses. Here's here is God who through Moses uh, led them up out of the Red Sea. Moses led them like a shepherd leads a sheep, um, and it was for God's glory. Jesus is not just another shepherd; he's the great shepherd. It's the word mega. He's the mega shepherd, um, and he's the greater Moses. He doesn't lead his people out of bondage in Egypt; he leads them out of bondage to sin. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not going to lead them up out of the Red Sea. He's going to lead them up out of the grave because God brought Jesus again from the dead. Uh, we can be certain that he's going to bring us uh, again from the dead also. Right, yeah. And this uh, this first certainty that you have, really, you said, really is the foundation for the next one, which is more of the application, I guess, that you would say, mm-hmm. that we would be equipped <laughs> with every good that you may do his will. Um, so before we get to that, he lays down this first certainty. Um, who did it? And how, then how he did how's it. How does he do it? And then how can we be and then how certain? Can we be certain? Mm-hmm. So how he did it 
through the blood of the eternal covenant. He, he does it by bringing Jesus from the dead. Uh-huh. That's that's how he does it. Um, but how can we be certain that this is that this is true? It's because he does it by the blood of the eternal covenant. He, which again, it's it's um, we have to stop and think about what's being said. Like the God of peace, who brought again from the dead the Lord Jesus, um, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. What he's saying is that God brought Jesus from the dead because of the blood of the eternal covenant. And we don't, I don't know how often we think this way. We don't don't think in these categories. Like, why did Jesus rise from the dead? It's not just another, it's not just so he can prove another miracle. It's to demonstrate that the cross worked. Uh And that's what's going on. He brought him from the dead by the blood of the eternal covenant. So Jesus dies on the cross shedding his blood not for his own sins but for the sins of his people inaugurating the new covenant and the the um the demonstration that we have the evidence we have that the new covenant has been inaugurated by the blood of Jesus is that God raised him from the dead mm-hmm. and so um, you know, when the Romans crucified him, he was, you know, they, they saw him as a criminal and the Jews saw him as someone accursed by God. But when Jesus rose from the dead, he demonstrated that he was neither. He was neither of those things, that God actually approves of his death. So, I mean, again, he's, he's drawing on all of these themes that we've seen throughout the book of Hebrews, especially Hebrews chapter 10, that Jesus's death was a once for all time perfect sacrifice he was um so he's it's not um you know the the uh it's the it's the contrast between the the animal sacrifices of the old covenant and the sacrifice of Jesus the animal sacrifices they are not that they they can't actually bring perfection like they, they can't actually perfect the 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 worshipers right. because they they have to be repeated over and over and over again but Jesus we know that he he has this he's made this once for all perfect sacrifice because it's it's demonstrated by him being raised from the dead never to die again um he he lives forever and so we we have this this 100% certainty that the blood of the eternal covenant has been um it has been successful because god has raised jesus up from the dead yeah so if you want certainty Look to the resurrected Christ. You, you want to know that all of the the promises that are made, um, you know, through the old covenant or the new covenant. You know, we, we go back to chapter eight and we see all of the the promises that God that God makes in Jeremiah thirty one. He's going to he's going to establish this new covenant with his people. And he's going to write his law on their minds and on their hearts and he's going to be their God and they're going to be his people and they're all going to know him from the least of them to the greatest and all their sins are going to be forgiven. Mm-hmm. How do we know that those are true? Jesus rose from the dead. Right. Uh, it's God's stamp of approval. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think, you know, like someone who's maybe newer to Christianity or someone who is not a Christian even and they hear these verses 
how how do we communicate this idea that God is a God of peace, right? Because mm-hmm. I think it may be in a non-Christian's mind or even a new Christian's mind, like they're trying to understand. Okay, he's this is he's called the God of peace, and yet there's this big bloody <laughs> sacrifice sacrifice mm-hmm. where yeah. God sacrifices yeah. his own son and pours his wrath out on his son. So how how do we in our culture explain that to people yeah. that he's the God of peace mm. and yet we have this sacrifice? Um I, I mean I think our culture understands conflict. Mm-hmm. Um they have to be in they have to be instructed, they have to be educated on who this God is because I think there's there's two ideas, two false ideas of of who the God of the Bible is. He's either this big cuddly teddy bear who just loves everybody and it doesn't matter who you are or what what you do, he's just going to accept everyone. Right. Except for Hitler, right? Right. Like there's always like that or racist. All right. Like white supremacist that uh-huh. he doesn't love them. <laughs> but yeah. everyone else. Yeah. Um, there's always someone that's that's outside the the grace yeah. of, of this cuddly teddy bear God. Or there's the God who is nothing but wrath, wrath, wrath. And like he's just he's just looking, he's just waiting for an opportunity to to smite you. Right. Right. Um we need to be careful not to assume that when we talk about God that everyone knows who we're talking about. Like we have to take the time to actually explain who this God is. Right. It's like Paul on Mars Hill, right? I'm gonna I'm going to tell you who the unknown God is. Uh-huh. Um, he's holy, right? He's holy. He's he's not just um. He's not the 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 guy you know the grandpa figure with his long white flowing beard, uh, just sitting on the front porch watching the kids get in the trouble and just chuckling to himself, like he's holy. Mm-hmm. He is pure. He is. He dwells in unapproachable light. Um, and if you want to come into the presence of this holy God, you have to be holy also. Right. Yeah. But the problem is we're not. God created us to obey him. He's our creator. Um, so he's our king. Yeah. But we have rebelled against him. We've committed treasonous acts against this holy God. Well, I think people understand like what what is the price for treason against an earthly king? It's, it's death. Right. Well, how about the universe's king? <laughs> if you commit if you commit treason against him, what what's going to happen? Right. Well, you're you're going to be condemned. You're going to be condemned to eternal death. And that's what sin does to us. It 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 uh, puts us under the wrath of this holy king. Um and we all are accountable. We're we're all going to we have to face justice, right? Um, and that's 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 the situation that we all come into the world in. We we all come into the world in this conflict with this holy God. We are we're separated from Him. We're alienated from Him. We're not. He's not our friend, right? Um, he hates sin because he is so holy and good and just that he's not going to let sin just have its way. But he also loves his creation 
and isn't willing to just burn the whole thing and start over. Right. Um, he's a God who wants to redeem his creation. Yeah. And, that, and that's where the God of peace, that's where that label, the God of peace comes in because it's not, we can't do anything to make peace with God. We, we can't, we can't wave the white flag and say, I surrender. Um, I'll do better. Like that's not justice. That, that might be worldly justice. Well, he said he was sorry. Um, but true justice has to punish sin. It can't just let it go. It can't just let it slide or ignore it or just say, uh, all right, I'll just wipe the, wipe the slate clean. Like that's, that's not the justice, true, true universal justice. Um, and so we can't do anything to make peace with God. But God, this holy God, um, who could justly destroy all of us, who could send all of us to hell right now, instead he makes peace. Right. And how does he make peace? By punishing sin. Yeah. But he doesn't punish us. <laughs> he doesn't punish us. He, he, he sends his son, the second person of the Trinity. So he, he's the, the triune God gives himself um, for his people. Mm -hmm. And so the second person of the Trinity, the son of God, comes as a man and he lives a perfectly obedient life. And then he, he sacrifices himself. He, he right. lays down his life um, for his people. And by his death, by his blood, God makes peace with sinners. Right. Yeah. Um, I was thinking of uh, Colossians chapter one, as you were uh, preaching through this uh, and thinking through these things, how how do we really how can we know like what certainty do we have that he is actually the god of peace if we don't have the cross uh, death burial and resurrection i don't think we can have that certainty mm -hmm. right we have no evidence to put forward right right well, we could say yes god is a god of peace um Colossians 1, 20 says, or sort of 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Um, the God of peace was incarnate, and so usually I think for, for people who are learning about Christianity, they're trying to understand how can you say that he's the God of peace. The first thing I think we need to, to remember is, is that if there's enmity now between God and man post the cross, we can never say it's on God's part. Mm -hmm. Like, no human can ever say, we're enemies right. and it's your fault. <laughs> right. We are the enemies of God. God has, he has extended a hand of peace yeah, he, through the cross. Yeah. And that peace and that reconciliation is, is God is reaching for it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if we, find that we aren't at peace with God, the problem is not on God's end, because right. he's already done far abundantly beyond anything we deserve. Mm. So now, for the person who would ask the question, they can't really say, like, look, we can say, look what God did to make peace, mm -hmm. right, to, to reconcile with you, to bring you to himself. If, there, if God is not the God of peace in your mind, it's not the problem is not on God's end, <laughs> right? The problem is on your end. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, he's he's called the the God of peace through 
all of Paul's letters. I mean, Romans 15, 16, 1 Corinthians 14, 2 Corinthians 13, Philippians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Thessalonians 3. Um, I mean, I, I keep thinking about Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, he himself is our peace. Christ is our peace. Um, all over the place. Like, God has declared, um, uh, I guess, an amnesty <laughs> on his part. Mm -hmm. uh, it's humanity that keeps uh, shooting bullets. Mm -hmm. and it's it's humanity that keeps trying to overthrow God. Right. Yeah. Um, but he he sent Christ to to die. And again, the, there's there is a definiteness in the Book of Hebrews. Like this this is an objective reality. Mm -hmm. God has sent Christ to die for His people. And he has accomplished this for them. Yes, and that that's all that's all over uh, all over the book of Hebrews. Mm -hmm. he, he came for uh, the the many sons. Right, right. he's going to bring many sons to glory uh -huh. uh, because he was made like them, and he right. he he's died for them, and he intercedes for them. Um, it's this is a, an objective, definite reality. It's, it's right. not uh, it's not a maybe. Right. Um, right. it, it's it's definite and the, the that language of the blood of the eternal covenant the great shepherd of the sheep this uh, this again is an allusion to Zechariah chapter 9 um, there uh, the prophet Zechariah said as for you also because of the blood of my covenant with you I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit on that day the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people for like the jewels of a crown they shall shine on his land. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Zechariah 11 and 13 have um, a lot of references to to shepherd to the shepherd. So to help people to read their Bible better, <clears throat> explain to them the difference in an explicit cross-reference and an illusion. Mm. Uh, I mean, a, a, an explicit cross-reference would be something like, um, well, up here in uh, chapter 13, verse 6. So yeah. we can confidently say, then your Bible, no matter what your translation is, you're going to have some kind of, it's it's going to somehow set it in a, in a kind of a block quote. Uh -huh. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Right. So he's explicitly quoting Psalm 118.6. Uh, but an illusion is where there's a word or a phrase probably paired with other phrases that should, at least for the original readers, it's our fault that we don't know our Bibles better, um, it should bring to mind something in the Old Testament that right. that is similar to it, uh -huh. um, like brought again. Right Now... We're not. We're probably not going to pick up on that without help. Mm -hmm. that just because we don't, we're not reading the original languages. We're not as familiar with our Bibles as as they were. Right. Um. But there's a lot of good study Bibles. Uh huh. Um. That will have that will have good cross references. Um. It's interesting. Uh, G.K. Bill, um, theologian, uh, up at Westminster in in um, what Pennsylvania. He said that one of the best tools that you can have is the um, Nestle Elan 27. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a Greek New Testament. And you may be thinking, I don't, I don't read Greek. He said that um, in the back there is um, like an appendix with a bunch of cross, like a bunch of uh, cross references, like all these allusions. 
like it gives you all these reference these old testament references for all these new testament allusions he said it's it's worth the price of the book mm. just for that that tool and he said that his wife doesn't doesn't read any greek she doesn't know any greek um and she has one and yeah. she uses it all she the time and, and says that it's it's just one of the most helpful things yeah um so there there's a lot of tools that you can use there's uh there's books that will give you the the uh the new testament use of the old testament there's i mean there's a big dictionary that you can get right the, the new testament use of the old testament and it's got i mean it, it's like a commentary where it goes through all the new testament books and when it comes to something like this where there's an illusion uh-huh it uh it will it'll tell you Right. Um, so there, there's some tools that you can use to, uh, to to pick up on some of this stuff. Right. But kind of as you go along and as you grow as a Christian, the more you read the Old Testament, the more you'll be like, mm. yeah, you start to you'll start you might like, even oh, know exactly is... where it is. You're like, hmm, like yeah. I've I've read this before. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you've right. been there before. And this is why we le- we read our Bible in community. I mean, this is this is another reason why we don't just lone ranger it. Like we're we're not an island. We are reading. Uh, we're reading the Bible in community, not because there's there. It's uh, you know. Well, what does this mean to you, Jay? It's well, I, I don't know everything, <laughs> and you don't know everything. But when we put our heads together, we can we can sharpen each other, and we can we can maybe bring things to mind that uh, one person is thinking about, and the other person didn't quite get it. And you can talk about it, and you can. Well, I don't know, maybe. And, um that you know we that's why we we have to be in church like we got to be a part of a church mm-hmm. um where we're we're taking the bible seriously and studying it and we can ask questions and we can uh, i mean I, I get texts all the time from people asking me bible questions that's what we should be doing we should be we should be talking to people yeah uh when i have questions about the bible i'll, I'll shoot off texts to people um i've got a i've got a good friend uh, not here uh, in another city that uh, is a lot better at Greek than I am, and so I'll I'll shoot him questions about about Greek. Um, you know, we're 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 together. We're not we're not you know separated. Yeah, yeah. Some people don't want to go buy a big dictionary of the New Testament use of the Old Testament. It's probably online. Well, I've got it. I bet, it, I <laughs> like, bet it's like, online. Be, like you can like we can share resources and you know. I bet it's online, public domain or something now. Yeah, it's not the one I'm thinking of isn't old enough to be public domain. Mm. All right, so we have this this big certainty, this big first certainty that um, God has accomplished redemption for you through Christ. Important reminder for people to know, as you brought in the context of people who are facing persecution and pressure uh, from their families and from their friends to revert to Judaism or just outright leave the faith altogether. Same pressures that we have today, though maybe not in America as as um, as physical. Right there, there are pressures come in different ways than maybe they would experience at that time. Well, um, words are violence, Jay. So yeah, words. Yeah, because you. words are violence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So we uh, we we uh, get violent violent acts perpetrated mm. upon us all the time, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> but the pressure, nevertheless, is is uh, is there is is real, mm-hmm. uh, can be experienced. It, it, I mean, if you're in a different variety of <clears throat> uh, whatever your occupation is or your calling in life, 
you're going to probably experience this at one time or the other. So it's this relevance is still here. And so we have to have this first certainty down that God has accomplished. And we, we also need to, um, I, I think a lot of Christians, they relegate the gospel message, like the explicit gospel message to like an invitation. Uh-huh. Like this is for unbelievers. Right. Like what believers need is like, here's 10 steps for a happy marriage, but unbelievers need me to tack on like an invitation mm-hmm. to believe the gospel at the at the end of a sermon. Right. And I think that that's, that's kind of um, infiltrated our, our Christian thinking is that the gospel is, it's like the, the gateway into Christianity. That's what unbelievers need. But then we move on to other stuff. Mm-hmm. It's still there in the background, but it's, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not just front and center for everything. And what this reminds us and what the book of Hebrews does and what he's doing here at the very end after all the arguments done is he reminds them of the gospel because the gospel is center. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't, as a Christian, you don't move past the gospel. You, you, you start to understand how the gospel is bigger than you first thought when you first came to Christ. You start to see how it's, how these different areas of theology are all part of the all part of the gospel, but you don't move past the gospel as if, well, I don't need this anymore. Mm-hmm. Like I know Jesus died for my sins, but that doesn't have like bearing on anything other than my sins are forgiven. Right. Like that's not what he's saying. He's saying because of these foundational truths, you can be certain for everything in your life as a Christian. But if you if you don't get this down, if you don't nail down the certainty of verse twenty, then you're not going to have the certainty of verse twenty one. So we, we just constantly need to be reminded of the gospel and come back to the centrality of the explicit gospel message for every area of the Christian life. Yes. Um, and um, I, I, it wasn't in my notes, but I, I, I said I think that a lot of the, the depression and discontent and anger and worry and, and all of these things that, that Christians deal with I think a lot of it is that they they not they're not thinking about the gospel enough, but like they're not meditating upon the gospel. We need the gospel every single day. We need to be thinking about the gospel, um, and and then we can start to. It's like uh, like the gospel is the epicenter of the Christian life, and it it like ripples out and applies to different areas of our life. Yeah. Yeah. So this first certainty, this first objective truth, this objective reality that they're reminded of, the truth of the gospel, then flows into the certainty that the second one will and is true. Mm-hmm. And the second certainty that you have is that God will complete his work in you through Christ. Yep. So God will complete his work in you through Christ. If you are a Christian, God will complete his work in you through Christ. And we said in verse 21 which he just flows right into it. May he equip you with everything good that you may do his will. That's where it starts. So he may equip you. Um, And I think you brought up that this is like him filling in everything, uh, every resource, everything that you would need Mm -hmm. to do works that he has already prepared for you to do. Yeah. And that's all over the New Testament. Oh, yeah. We go to Ephesians... Ephesians chapter two, that great chapter. That's how it ends. That God has, He is predetermined. That might trigger a lot of people, but it's there. Mm. 
not just your salvation, but then everything else that flows out of that, all of the good works that you would do from then to your death, God has prepared them, and now we see that he will equip you to do that. He yep. just doesn't leave you hanging. Right. He's now going to equip you with everything that you need Which to is do good, that. because, I mean, if we just isolate chapter 13, there's a lot of stuff there. Uh-huh. Um, but then we think about the entire book and all the things that he's he's called upon us to do. Like, don't fall away, because if you do, then there's there's no coming back. Uh-huh. Um, and you can you can think of all the stresses of the the government persecuting you and your friends and family ostracizing you and the temptation to go back to um, Judaism to escape all of this and we we don't quite feel the the weight of what the the original audience is going through but um, I, I know that there's people in our church that they struggle with family members because of their faith. Right. Um, I know that there are, I mean, kids that go to school, I know how, I know how it was. <laughs> like the pool is to, you, you, you I, as a Christian kid, I usually wasn't the influence on my unbelieving friends. They usually were more of the influence on me. <laughs> they usually were the stronger pool. Um, uh, going to work and being surrounded by unbelievers. Um, the, the, I mean, the temptation is always there to, don't talk about Christianity so much because you're the weirdo. Right. Um, so the, the the temptation is still there. It might it might be different than what they were experiencing, but it, it's still there. Um, and so we need we need the confidence that we're not just being called to do your best or try harder. God is going to equip you to do what He wants you to do, and that word equip. Um, it is um, it's the word that's used in the the gospels of the disciples uh, mending their nets. Uh-huh. So they're the, he's being honest with them. They're they're struggling. Like there's there are those that are like teetering on the on the brink, and he's encouraging them as they're they're reading this or listening to this um, this exhortation that God is going to put right whatever is yeah whatever is weak. He's going to yeah. mend it, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's an encouraging thought. Oh, uh, again, yeah. uh, no no true believer is going to ever find fully and finally fall away, right? right. Um, because God is going to ensure that believers persevere to the end. Uh-huh. So He's going to equip them. And what's interesting is that that word for equip is the same word that's used in chapter ten, um, talking about Christ uh-huh. and how when Christ came into the world, uh, God prepared it's the same word he prepared a body for him and what did he prepare the body of jesus for mm-hmm. uh then i said behold i have come to do your will to O god will. Yeah. Right. so god prepared a body for jesus so that he would do the will of god mm-hmm. and we're in solidarity with him we're in union with christ i mean that that's part of verse 20 that's part of the the confidence we have in verse 20 is that he he brought from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, so there's there's union with Christ uh, by the blood of the eternal covenant. So if he did that for Jesus, then he's certainly going to do it for those whom Jesus represents. Um, if God has prepared a body for Jesus to do the will of God, then God will also equip or prepare for us everything that we need 
in order to do his will also. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're standing in union with Christ. Christ is our mega shepherd. He's our great, our great shepherd, our great high priest who represents us. And everything that's true for Jesus will be true for us. Right. Um, his, his death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. His glorification is our glorification. We, we talk about this quite frequently here, especially when we, we do baptisms. Um, but it's true here. It's true here. Um, at the end of this book, he's he's praying. Now may the God of peace equip you with every good thing to do uh, to do His will. Uh-huh. Um, and we can be certain of it because Jesus did it. Yeah. Um, and so we we know that uh, that since Jesus has accomplished this, that God is going to ensure that we accomplish it also. Yeah. And I I, uh, I mean we we could look at. We could look at all all sorts of uh, passages. I got all all sorts of passages here. Um, God is not just; He doesn't just give us the tools that we need and then good luck. Uh, you know, just do your best. It says He equips us with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. And I like the I like the the legacy standard rendering of this, uh, just because it. It uh, hammers in the same word. Um, it says he will equip you in every good thing to do his will by doing in us what is pleasing in his sight. Mm-hmm. So we do because God is doing in us. Right. Um, we work because God is working in us. Right. And that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's all over the place. This is, this is the, the, um, the dual truths of God's divine sovereignty and, and human responsibility. Right. So... Philippians chapter two, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you both to to will and to work for uh-huh. His good pleasure. Right. right. So you are responsible to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Which interesting. That's that's uh, that, that takes us back to Hebrews twelve twenty eight again, uh, offering to God acceptable service with reverence and awe. But it's God who's working in us. And he's also giving us the the desire, the will to to do it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, we've talked about this quite a bit on our podcast over the years. Um, this is one of the things in our Bible that are really almost beyond our ability to fully grasp, though we can understand it. Uh, same thing with the Trinity and the Incarnation. Those are the big three, right? The yeah. Trinity, the Incarnation, uh, human responsibility. How does that go hand in with divine sovereignty? So there's the big three. But these are really more paradoxes than they are contradictions. People like to say they're contradictions. Paradoxes are just something that's beyond our ability right. at the present, I think at the present, to grasp in our simple human state. Now, we will never have a full comprehension of all that is God, I don't think, because he's completely other, and we will, we will be eternally a created thing, even if we are eternal, right? But um, just because we can't fully pin it down. And I think this is where people get in a lot of problems is they we want to have complete answers. Right. And we're not going to get complete answers. The Bible just affirms that we're responsible to work to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Mm-hmm. But yet also simultaneously God is working in us. And we see that the way it's phrased here uh, in Hebrews it's in that exact yeah. exact <laughs> reference point that we are to that God has prepared these works that we are to work 
and to do them, but God has equipped us for that. And not only has equipped us, it's not like, hey, here's the tools. Now you go do it. It's like, here's the tools and I'm going to do it with you. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I'm going to do it in you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I mean, you referenced Ephesians chapter two, uh, verse 10. He, he has, he had, we're his workmanship and he's prepared good works in advance that we might work, that we might walk in them. Uh So, I mean, the way that I read it is that God has already determined all the good works we're going to do. Now we have to to actually do them. God right. God doesn't do them for us. Yeah. We have to do them, but God has prepared them for us so that we'll do them. It's the the Christianity is so unique in so many ways when you just start to think about uh reality in general. Like I think there's an awakening happening in the West to the reality of uh, spiritual things and spiritual realm. Yeah. Materialism had dominated human thought for so long, and now people have this. They want this like connection to the other realm. Well, in Christianity, it's also clearly broken down that like we ask the question: In what way could he who which is unapproachable, um, who we don't have access to, we can't access him through a set of ritual magic rituals to unlock like some divine power? What is the interface? Like through the human, like because we are we are not our brains, right? But our souls and our minds, our body, like that's what it is to be human. There's a component of us that God created to have connection with the divine. So how can God possibly work in us without making us like robots? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Like the connection between the divine and the human is through Christ. And after Christ's resurrection and ascension, him sending his spirit into the church. So in a very real sense, no matter where Christian is, they have an immediate like uh, connection in a way that can't be, can't be tested via the scientific method, but nevertheless real, right. that the God of the universe indwells his people. And that's the connection point between the one who dwells in unapproachable light. Yeah. He's coming to his people and made himself very real and very present. Yep. And we we can't forget that we have uh we we we'll often say well the holy spirit is not a power, it's not a force, he's a person. But nevertheless, he is the power in the Christian mm-hmm. to do God's will. Yeah. We can't do God's will without the power of the holy spirit working in us. Right. And reformed people often we often um neglect to that part, which is very strange, because if you go back in time and read Puritans or you read John Calvin, they're always talking about the Holy Spirit, always. Calvin was called the preacher of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Like, he's, he's always, uh, people always, like, pigeonhole him into divine sovereignty, but he right. wrote about the Holy Spirit a lot more than he wrote about anything else. Mm-hmm. Right. You have on, which is, a, this is a strange thing, because you have, on the one hand, in the charismatic world, the broad spectrum of charismatics, but this idea that you have the power within yourself to do great things, right? But you really don't. <laughs> like, like, you can't do this apart from uh, the Spirit's work in you. Yeah. You're powerless to do, it, to do these things. Um, so there has to be this kind of balancing where we understand, and I think it's a, it's a great comfort because um, you're going to come to, I think, times in your life where you are 
going to feel your lack of ability and your lack of maturity. Um, maybe your flesh, is, you're really battling against it, and you don't have the power. Mm-hmm. And that's when you need to remember yeah. know, the truths of the Bible, is that, yes, you may not, but can you not call to your Father to empower you through the Spirit? Yeah, and that's the that's that's what this is meant to do. It's meant to cause us to rely on God. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all going to feel like failures in the Christian life. There's there's going to be that sin that we struggle with, or we're just not going to. I mean, prayer. I mean, prayer is probably the most difficult thing that a Christian is called to do. Um, I never feel like I'm praying the way that I should. What am I supposed to do? Mope? <laughs> Just try harder? Um, no, it, it's it's reason to look to Christ and to to hope in Him mm-hmm. um, and the power that He gives through His Spirit. Yes. Um, and, okay, so then He flows right into this next section. Uh, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to which, whom be glory forever and ever. Which that word pleasing, pleasing mm-hmm. in his sight, it's the same word that's found in chapter 12, verse 28. We're supposed to offer to God acceptable or pleasing service. Um, and then we have all of chapter 13 that, that gives us like practical ways to do this. Um, and then he says that God is working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Mm-hmm. So this is the answer to chapter 12. We're called to do this. You can be certain that God is going to work in you so that you can do this. Right, yeah. And that's <laughs> that's good news. Yes, <laughs> that's really it is. good news. We should also realize, I think this is healthy for us uh, spiritually, so we don't fall into like discouragement, that we might would think, oh, these things that are pleasing to God are these big Christian things, these movement-shaping people in the Christian world and in Christian history. Uh-huh. Uh, but these are the <clears throat> mundane things of life. Oh, yeah. Like the ordinary... Lo- love love other Christians. Right. Um, love your spouse. Don't love money. Yep. Uh, listen to your listen to your pastor. Yeah, be, be a good father. Uh-huh, yeah. Be a good mother. Like raise your children. Right, teach them the Bible, teach them to work, get up and go to work every day, um, so that people would see you're working and say, Oh, th- this something different about this worker. Yeah, they you know, they are always doing things correctly and right and on time. Uh, they're presenting themselves differently. Um, all of those things are pleasing to God. Yeah, like the this is part of a life that is worship to God. Just be a Christian, just be a faithful Christian. Yeah. Um, where God puts you. Mm-hmm. We're not all going to be Charles Spurgeon. We're not all going to be, you know, William Carey or Adoniram Judson or Lottie Moon or, you know, uh, these people that are like giants. Mm-hmm. We're, we're not all going to be that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, be a faithful Christian where you are, where yeah. God's put you. If, if, if God puts you in Lawton, Oklahoma, in a you know a Walmart right <laughs> be a good be a good faithful Christian Walmart employee in Lawton, Oklahoma 
and we also we all, we often forget the upside down nature like of of Christ's kingdom where we might would think okay I live an ordinary life nobody knows who I am um I'm just a regular Christian person I'm not great in the kingdom I don't think we should we shouldn't be thinking like that. Right. One of my kids asked me, I think it was Brooke, she asked me like, Do you think like in the, the, the next world, that's kind of what we say in the new world, the next world, like does Jesus have favorites? And I'm like, Well <laughs> my personal opinion is probably right. It, but the favoritism is more like, okay, did he have friends that were closer than other people while he was on earth? Of course. Was that sinful? No, absolutely not. He had three that were closer to him than anybody else, and it appears maybe John was his best friend. Yeah. So we could start there, right? There's three, and then probably the 12. Then who after that, right? Paul, you go through these giants of the faith, but then we, I think then I immediately pick up on the flaw in the thinking, right? Because you go to the great men. <laughs> right, But yeah. who's the known? The yeah, known, you, you immediately go to, to, who's the, to the big Who's the ones. known names right. that... When the end comes, right, right, we go, we're in Christ's banquet, and there's these receipts, they're reserved at the front. Mm. Who's the no-name man or woman that's going to walk past all of us and be able to sit close? Yeah, I mean, that's... that's it's, there's somebody. That, that is, that's what Jesus said, right? The, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we just... We just don't know, right? We just don't know. I mean, he said that that uh, even the least of the person in the kingdom will be greater than John the Baptist, right? Yeah. I mean, we we just don't. I mean, the the kingdom ordering is so different than worldly ordering that we just don't know. My my preaching professor, he would always tell us, "You're you'll probably never even know the name of like the greatest preachers of all time, right? Because they probably are just." in small backwoods churches and they're just faithful pastors and no one knows who they are and they just pastor their church and no one no one ever they're never platformed they never write books you'll never hear them uh, you know on podcasts or radio shows or tv or you know right um but that doesn't mean that they're not being faithful mm-hmm Right, yeah, and it, it is it is encouraging to think about that that God has equipped us to do everything that is pleasing to Him, and He's working in us to do that. And even the person who labors in obscurity, or maybe can get discouraged and think, well, "I'm not doing great things for God." Right? Maybe you are. Like maybe you're doing exactly what God has prepared for you to do, and it's very pleasing to Him. Um, and that should be a good encouragement. Susanna Wesley, she probably didn't think she was doing anything like great for God. She was being a mother of what nine kids, and two of them were John and Charles Wesley, who impacted thousands. Uh-huh. Who are still impacting? Yeah, thousands. Um, you know, it's the who who was. John Calvin's parents, <laughs> you know, right. like we don't, you don't know who they are. I have no idea. <laughs> you know, um, we know a little bit about like Spurgeon's family, but they're not, 
like his his dad and grandfather, who were who were preachers. Uh-huh. Like no one, no, no one, one really knows, knows who names. they were, but were they faithful? All right. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, a stay at home mom who's taking care of the kids. Um, you just don't you don't know you you don't know what your ministry is going to accomplish through your kids or your grandkids. You just don't know. We, we just don't know what, what God is going to do, mm-hmm. what he's going to use. Yep, that's good. So God is doing all this, and it will happen. He does it through Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And you brought up the the great certainty that we have in this because God's glory is tied to this. Yeah. Right. Where there's debate over the to whom who does that refer to? Right. The closest antecedent is Jesus Christ. But um if we go back up to verse 15, it says through him, through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. Um, that that idea is probably still here. Uh, now may the God of peace, who's done all of these things through Jesus, receive all this glory. Mm-hmm. Um, that that seems to be the the way in which it should be read and understood. That God the Father receives all the glory through Christ. In the church, mm-hmm. right, right, um, but we there's a balancing act because uh-huh. right? you don't want to separate the persons of the Trinity, right? <laughs> so God gets all the glory, uh, Father, Son, and Spirit mm-hmm. receive all the glory. But um, however you want to understand that, whether it's Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever, or God the Father through Jesus Christ to whom be the glory forever and ever, doesn't really make a big big difference right um but what is important is as you said our perseverance is a matter of god's glory Mm -hmm. if god's going to be glorified and he will be then he has to accomplish this yeah right if he doesn't accomplish this which this is perseverance that's the whole context of the book is don't fall away persevere um, and the the certainty of the benediction is that God will equip you to persevere. And if you don't persevere, that means that God loses some of his glory because he didn't do what he said he was going to do. Yeah. Um, and so we can be we can be confident that as we are following Christ, as we're looking to Christ alone um, for our salvation, um, as we're striving in the power that God gives us by the Holy Spirit, um, we we know that we won't fall away because God will be glorified, yeah. and God God has said that He will do this. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, yeah. So our again our our confidence isn't in our own ability; it's in God, who is going to glorify Himself, right? Um, and He's going to do everything in order that He is fully glorified right he's going to receive the maximum glory and that includes the perseverance of the saints yeah i mean we 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 firmly believe this is the reason that the universe exists at all like the question is why is there something rather than nothing right um philosophers have no answer for that we have an answer 
Colossians, again, Colossians 1, all things were created through him and for him. And the purpose of the universe is that God received glory in the salvation of his people. And so he can't lose any of those people because he promised it. Right. And God can't lie. So if the purpose of the universe is for God to receive glory through the salvation of his people, and you're one of his people, you're going to make it. You're going to persevere to the end. Yeah. So keep looking to Jesus. Right. (laughs) I mean, just keep holding on to Jesus. And uh, you can have hope that we have this sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. Um, because Jesus has died for us. He's been raised for us. He's been glorified for us. He's interceding for us at the right hand of the throne of God. And uh, he will not lose a single person for whom he is doing these things. That's right. Good stuff. All right, one more. One more. One more, just a a few short verses. Yeah, final greetings. Yep. And that's it for Hebrews. Yep. Four verses, probably four points. Yeah, yeah. That's what, and, I'm, that's what I'm looking at right now. And then the other, uh, how we do it here is in December, usually all of the other elders will preach. So if they're available, they have jobs. If they're available, we might can do a text urban Tuesday with them. Um, but if they're not, we won't have that. Maybe we'll try to supplement with some free-for-all Fridays during that time so that there's stuff for folks to listen to. What do you think? I'm down for it. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks for joining us today for Text Driven Tuesday. We hope it's been a blessing to you, encouraging to you as we remind you of the truth of the gospel and the faithfulness of God. Um, If this has been an encouragement, please go ahead and pass it along to one of your friends. Maybe like, uh, subscribe, write us a review. That's helpful as well to help people to find us. It's our pleasure to to serve you and our church in this way, making this podcast. Uh, We hope that you'll come back next time uh, to finish up the book of Hebrews. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.